0: Hey guys, how are you? Good to see you. I see Lauren and Kristen and Joanne and Angie. I have no idea who Mr. Man is, but I love that that you have the guts to to label yourself that on Zoom. Peggy, Shiro, Karen, Lisa, Terry, I got two Terrys. Uh, Kathy, Carol, Debbie, I love that you guys are joining us today. I have wonderful people on this webinar. We're going to be talking about the versatility of yoga. And yoga has long been associated with just improving flexibility and has been stereotyped in this very narrow scope of just being flexibility. Yoga is an amazing low impact option to improve not only flexibility, but mobility, strength, recovery, um, and of course, mental health. And so I'm really thrilled to have with me today, I've got Mm -hmm. Siri Chalazi, Gail Bannisterman, and Kimberly Spring-Blick. So Siri, you and I need to hyphenate our last names. Okay, that's what I'm learning from this webinar. So we've got Siri. Siri is a 15-year-old veteran of the fitness industry and a master trainer for a variety of programs. She teaches just about every format. Pilates, bar, yoga, dance, step, hit. and she's got a master's master's degree in public policy from Harvard Kennedy School, and a BA in chemistry and physics, also from Harvard College. Yes, she's brilliant. She keeps reminding me that this has nothing to do with fitness. I don't care, because so she's also, I believe, Siri, you're running the group fitness department at Harvard, right?
1: Uh, not quite. I've been teaching there for 16 years, but my wonderful colleague Don Stennis, who some of you might know, has been running it for even longer. But thank you, Sarah. That's a very generous okay, introduction. You've
0: been teaching there, which is wonderful. And then um, we've also got Gail Bannisterman that we're very pleased to have. And I think you guys know that she's a fitness consultant for the NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB. Now, if you don't know what those stand for. It, it, it's basketball, football, hockey, baseball. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, they play it. She trains for it. And she's really a fitness consultant. And she's the regional group X manager for the Northeast um, locations. Queens, the Bronx, Brooklyn for Crunch Fitness. Um, and she also is the owner of the Banister Method Studio, which is also located in New York, and a flexibility core yoga pilates coach. So we we love these expertise that we're that we're able to share with you guys. And then we have Kimberly Springlick, the poor woman. Feel very bad for her. She's only got 25 years of experience teaching and presenting. You know, she's just a child. Um, she served as the senior director of group fitness for over a decade with Lifetime Fitness. She helped build those facilities. Um, she also was the idea program director of the year, which is pretty darn cool. She has an online platform called The Inspired Life. I'm going to ask Don Carlson, our beautiful event Creator, She does our wonderful mosaic tile, filling in all the sessions for all our conferences. And hopefully she'll put in that link for the inspired life. And she helped um, Kimberly helps fitness professionals expand their roles and become more wellness leaders. And I think this is important. Now, I think a lot of you who are on this webinar, you guys know that I'm a big yoga fan. I actually started not by teaching yoga, but actually by participating in yoga. And um, what we've done is I bring, and I started teaching yoga because my yoga instructor decided to get pregnant with twins. And then she was going to have this horrible sub and the class knew I taught like Every other type of training, and they begged me to start teaching yoga, and I said, "Okay, I'll do it for twelve weeks until she's postpartum and she comes back." And um, I never gave her back the class. I'm sorry. I'm a rude, horrible person, but I fell in love with teaching yoga. So, so one of my idols in yoga, starting with you, Kimberly. I went and took a class in Mission Bajio at the Lifetime. There, did I pronounce that correctly?
2: Um, it's actually, it's Laguna Niguel, but, but Mission Viejo is close. Okay.
0: It was in California and I'm obviously from the Midwest. So <laughs> what the heck? Um, my, oh, my favorite yoga teacher, like in the world. So anyway, explain to us the different modalities of yoga. If you would, we're going to start there.
2: So when we think about different modalities of yoga, there's two different perspectives. One perspective is looking traditionally at yoga where we have um, when we're looking at physical yoga, because there's the philosophy of yoga where yoga stems from like Ashtanga yoga, the eight limbs, the yoga sutras and such, and then born from that. We have Ashtanga Vinyasa, which is kind of its own style. Um, we have Yin, we have Iyengar, we have Vinyasa Flow, which is kind of the hippie stepchild of Ashtanga Vinyasa. So there's different genres of yoga that uh, kind of started to make its way onto the scene. But what we see nowadays, I think, especially in all of the health clubs and in the boutiques, they've kind of pulled from the different modalities and have developed formats that would serve the purpose of meeting our clientele where they're at, which are, are, are people who are coming to us wanting to improve, as you were saying earlier, Sarah, improve their strength as well as their flexibility, as well as reduce stress and improve their balance and mobility and recover perhaps from injuries and such? And so you'll find a lot of classes may pull from, you know, Ashtanga of Vinyasa, bringing in a component of Yin and developing like signature classes that um, really m- meet the moment where we are in the health and fitness industry.
0: Oh, I love that. and. For you guys, that if you have any questions, move your mouth, go to the bottom of the screen, go over to the left of the green share button. You'll see the chat box. Just click on that if you would, please. Type in where you're from. We love to hear where you're from. We have 221 people that have registered for this webinar. We expect about 50. Oh, we've already hit 50. We expect about... 70 people to show up live and we get more people that listen to our podcast almost double the amount than watch the webinar so you're here you've spent the time and you're making the effort ask questions i try to stay on top of them we've got people from syracuse new york alabama ocala florida oh look lauren i love seeing that we've got um janice from tennessee people from ohio this is awesome. This is great. Virginia, all over, all over the country. And sometimes we get people all over the world, up oh, all over the world. Speaking of which, we got Canada. All right. <laughs> Love to see this. Um, so I look at this. I look at the different yoga types. And Siri, you didn't even know I was going to ask you this, but I'm throwing this your way. What's going on with hot yoga? What do you think about that?
1: Hot yoga is obviously immensely popular in case some of you haven't tried it or haven't heard about it. It's, um, can be any different style of yoga, any of the ones that Kimberly just, uh, listed for us, but practice in a hotter room, um, typically up to 86 degrees Fahrenheit or actually even more can be even more. Um, look, people love it because they sweat more. Because it's hotter, right? You would sweat more just sitting in that hot room without moving. And of course, if you move in that hot space, you are going to sweat more compared to uh, doing the same movement in a cooler space. So for a lot of our participants, they feel like they're working harder because they can sense it through the sweat. Now, in reality, as fitness pros knows that know that the amount of sweat isn't correlated with uh, the physical benefits that you get from exercise, that it's not always correlated with how hard you're working. My one concern about hot yoga and hot Pilates and all of these other modalities that you do in very hot rooms is that because it um, heat relaxes our muscles especially in yoga where we often stretch, that can lead people to be a little bit over eager in how far they stretch and can increase the risk of injury when people feel like, oh, wow, I can, I can go so much further than normally. And then you end up tearing a muscle or damaging a ligament. So that's just my concern. Everything comes with pros and cons. Um, I don't practice hot yoga on the regular personally, but I've certainly done it a couple of times. Um, and of course, for some people it's uh, you know contraindicated. Uh, I wouldn't advise it in pregnancy, for example. But it's immensely popular because people are looking for new experiences. And so that's a challenge for us. You know, fit pros is even if we don't have the hot room and we don't want to provide the hot room, how can we still entice our clients to come back for a new experience?
0: Yeah, I really enjoy the hot yoga. And I love hearing your expertise in that. And that just reminds me of doing yoga when you're pregnant because you have the relaxin that is actually systemic in your body. It's not like it goes directly, oh, I'm going to, it's going to go to my rib cage so I can expand and I can accommodate the growing fetus, right? Or my hip girdle that can externally rotate more than four degrees. You know, it goes four degrees. We expand our rib cage by about almost eight to 11 degrees. So your hips externally rotate. It's not like the, the, the baby's just going to you know, get, have more room uh, to exercise if you're in this hot room. You don't want the body to get overheated. And you also have to look at people that are predisposed to heart conditions, strokes. Mm-hmm. We wanna look at our older adults as well and what their fitness program level is. If they're runners, they're probably, a, they're, they've acclimated themselves to heating the body up like beyond normal amounts. Um, but hot yoga is very, very popular. Um, I, I live in Colorado now; very, very popular here. And I think because it's so cold outside, it makes people feel so good. But the the risk of not just overheating, but um, dehydration, is mm-hmm. something we have to consider. Um, but I love what you brought up, Siri. I think that all that is so important. Um, Gail. Okay,
2: babe. Really quickly before we move off hot yoga. I'm so sorry, Sarah. Could I just bring no, in a go ahead, Because I have no doubt if we have yogis and yoga teachers on with us, just a point of clarification. I think what we're talking about is heated yoga, because hot yoga is a very specific format. It's actually a spin-off of bikram. Bikram yoga is a 105 to 107 as far as the temperature and the humidity, which is actually the Really what what builds the intensity of the experience is generally 60 to 70 percent, whereas heated is going to generally be 85 to 95 degrees and usually maybe 25 to 40 percent humidity. And we do some of the more active yoga like vinyasa or even Pilates, as you mentioned, Siri, Um, we're doing that in the heated space. And, and that does generate that feeling of, of intensity um, that you're talking about with the sweating and such. But, but hot yoga, most people associate with Bikram, which is a very specific style. And much like Ashtanga, there's a set sequence of, of poses that you do. You're not flowing quickly. You're in the poses you're holding. And the one benefit of being in the hot space, which is what made sauna so popular, is that you're almost like generating a fever within the body, but it's not the kind of fever that shows up because you're ill. It's the kind of fever that actually builds your, your defense system, your immune system so that you can ward off illness. So there, there, you know, as you said, Siri, there are certainly pros and cons, and we want to make sure that each person knows their, their situation so that they can make a proper and educated decision as to whether or not to go into a heated space to, to do any kind of movement. But I just needed to kind of throw out that clarity. Oh, I
0: love the clarity. I think that's marvelous. I remember when I was in Philadelphia, I used to do QVC all the time. I know it's humiliating, but I did. I sold fitness equipment on QVC to to everyone like my mother. I used to look at the camera and think, I'm selling to my mother. Anyway, (laughs) while I was there, thank you, Gail. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) So, but I went and I took at Baron Baptiste Yoga Studio and he did it at 105. So I stood by the door and then when he wasn't looking, I cracked the door open. Oh my God, I got yelled at. I got yelled at and he slammed the door shut and I thought I was like going to vomit because I was like so overheated. Anyway, yeah, lovely story. Glad I shared. All right, Gail, talk to, talk to us about how you are integrating yoga into with, when you work out with your professional athletes.
3: So I, I'm going to tie in off of the hot yoga because it seems to be it seems to be um, a tie in. So when you're dealing with athletes, um, I want to specify, like Sarah said and Siri said and Kimberly said, hot yoga is something that you take for the experience of it because you like it. But when you're dealing with athletes, you have to remember the atmosphere that these people are working with. So if I'm dealing with football players, we're dealing in 90-degree weather is one sometimes, and sometimes two degrees weather. If you're dealing with ice hockey players, the, the place is constantly cold at 40 degrees, 30 degrees. So you wouldn't recommend hot yoga for those guys to go take because their atmosphere on a daily basement is freezing. So you want to keep them in a room temperature to work with them to keep their fascia and their muscles pliable for their game. you So I don't recommend hot yoga for my athletes at all, because their attitude is, do you run outside in 104 degree weather? Are you, you know, you're going from hockey to 104, like the fascia, the body changes. So to answer your question in that sense, you have to be careful how you apply yoga to your clients. So my athletes will come to me. So I'm going to go take a hot yoga class. I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, You're not going to do that today. You can take a regular yoga class. Regular temperature yoga class, make sure you're in a room because you're not running tomorrow in 98 degrees and your body will be too flexible, too Gumby, and you might be have room for injury, which is what Siri also said. So we can't have our, um, our athletes tearing anything prior to game time. So we want to keep them in the same room temperature that they're normally in on a day-to-day basis. That's something you have to keep in mind. So how do we apply it? Um, for me, I'm hands-on stretching. So we do go through Thai massage moves with them. Like, okay. And again, um, it's a tough question though, Sarah, because if I'm working with a receiver, it's all going to be hamstring, speed, hip flexors. If I'm working with a linebacker, he's on the ground most of the times. It's back, a lot of back work, a lot of core work. You're stretching out to make sure the hip flexors are strong. So you have to figure out the application of the athlete of what they need for their specific sport. So you can't make it, I'm going to use this word, a McDonald's <laughs> brand for every client. Every client's body is different. So you have to know what you're dealing with for a sports specific for that client. Was that clear? Did I do that
0: right? Oh, that's, big. I love it. I love the information I I too. To okay. I do have a question, Gail. What are your thoughts? Like if we were trying to apply some flexibility training to like a pickleball player, because we get a lot of women, at least I'm seeing it around here. I see a lot of skiers around here, but there is, you know, I am a a very aggressive pickleball player. Oh, pickleball is a new
3: thing, man. I have a lot of my clients now moving. And so I have tennis clients who go, that's blasphemy. How could they play pickleball? It's (laughs) blasphemy and I start laughing. But I get it, you know, for the people who have given up tennis are getting into pickleball because it's parallel to it, it's something. But for pickleball users, man, lateral movements, stretch out their hip flexors, upper body like crazy because it's short movements and strengthen their core um, constantly because they're not moving in big movements like tennis, they're not running back and forth but well, they're doing a lot of transverse planes. They're doing a lot of sagittal plane. So you really want to move them to make sure they're doing a lot of upper body because it's more of the transverse. They're reaching, they're doing that kind of stuff. Shorter movement, shorter burst. So you really want to keep them. I would say a lot of lateral movement. So if you're playing pickleball, start doing a lot of side lunges and shuffles. Um, okay.
0: Pickleball right. is there a new thing.
3: Much. I have to come up with a pickleball workout
0: I'm working on that. Well, I, I have emailed <laughs> several of our presenters and said, I want a small group training program for pickleball, pickleball players. Yeah. Because I think that, I think we better train now for it because it's huge in the summer. Yeah. These people in Colorado, we, we quit skiing and we're jumping into pickleball. But to stay in shape, I am doing yoga. How do you see, Siri, the, the strength, um, the positions in yoga affecting strength?
1: I'm going to pick up right where you left off because I love that both of you were talking about functional training, right? But function is different depending on who you are. So if you're a football linebacker, the function that you need to train for is very different than Siri, who yes, teaches fitness classes, but actually works mostly on the computer, right? Um, And so I think that's always step number one. Um, Something that... um, Funny enough, I was just um, at the SEWDC Mania Conference a couple of weeks ago. I taught a, a session on flexible uh, strength uh, and dynamic flexibility. And I asked people, how many of you think of stretching as being something that should be easy? Like you just get into a pose and relax, right? That's kind of what a lot of people associate stretching with. I know Gail is laughing. I've taken Gail sessions and her stretching is not easy. Um, Stretching is actually meant to be effortful, right? One part of the body is lengthening, but a lot of other parts of the body have to be highly engaged in order to enable that to happen. And so that's where the strength building component of yoga comes in. Even the yoga poses that are focused on stretching on one aspect of the body, you know, think even uh, uh, downward dog. I mean, your upper body is working very hard uh, to keep your body weight up as your um, the posterior chain is lengthening. Think about any single leg like, balancing movement, like a warrior three or a tree pose. There's a lot of work going on through the whole stabilizing side, um, in addition to opening up the hip or lengthening the posterior chain or whatever is going on. So there's always a balance that the strength and the flexibility are two sides of the same coin. And that's one of the reasons why I love yoga is because it Trains the body very holistically. It builds, yes, length and flexibility, but it also strengthens the muscles at the same time. Not always the same muscle at the same time, but when you go through your holistic, well-designed yoga routine, that's kind of the overall training effect that you get.
0: Um, Kimberly, what are your thoughts on that? And how would you, let's say, relate yin yoga to that as well?
2: Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because yin as its own practice is very different than a yin portion of another type of yoga so for example you know I teach a vinyasa flow and we always have a yin section at the end and we've taken all this time to work on standing postures to build heat some balance and and I love Siri what you said because it is always that combination of strength and stability and strength and flexibility and mobility it's like all it's one of the things I love about yoga as well and then of course the the mental and emotional component, but m- maybe that's a different webinar. Um, but then we have this yin section where we take advantage of the fact that the body is warm, so we can ask the muscles to kind of politely get out of the way so that we can get more to the connective tissue to be able to improve mobility of the joints. Whereas traditional yin, if you were to just go to a yin class, first of all, it's never going to be heated, shouldn't never be heated. Yin is, is typically practiced either in a room temperature and sometimes even a little bit cooler, because the idea is that because Because there is such a strong connection between the soft tissue and your body, you're actually relying on that connection to to be able to um, improve mobility. And that's why in a yin class, you're going to settle into the poses. I mean, sometimes in a one-hour yin class, you might only do five, six, seven, eight poses the entire hour. Because you're settling in for maybe five, six minutes at a time sometimes and really holding and then, and then taking the time to ask the body to kind of release little by little without warming it up into doing convincing it to do so. Um, but tremendous benefit. I always try to fit in yin at least once every couple of weeks, just a traditional yin practice. And then I think there's tremendous benefit in any, any kind of movement based yoga. Or, or the standing postures being kind of the, the yang part, we would call it, um, to be able to, to bring in the element of yin toward the end as well. You're going to see tremendous benefits from that.
0: All right, wonderful. And we did get a question, or I should say kind of a comment from uh, Janie. What happened to the original poses? Now, I find that interesting. She says 27 poses, so but we looked it up, and I thought it was 34. Go ahead, Bikram is 27. But uh, even though she's not a fan of Bikram, she's still a fan of the series. So I thought that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, Kimberly, please continue.
2: Oh, no, um, that's really all I, I had to say about the yin component. But yes, you're right. So there's there's 27. So, Janie, I'm so glad you brought that up, because. Hot yoga is the spinoff of that Bikram, the 27 poses done in a ridiculously hot, sticky room it used to be with carpet and it would smell really bad. Um, and then Ashtanga Vinyasa, you just mentioned, and we, we double checked this because I, I couldn't quite remember either, but there's the primary series, which is a set series of postures. It's 35. And then in the entire Ashtanga Vinyasa kind of platform, which the primary intermediate advanced is 75 poses. Um, that are all designed to be able to build all the things that we're talking about, strength, flexibility, balance, mobility. So good stuff.
0: So Gail, what do you think about the picking and choosing of different poses in the classes? Like I'll go to a class and it's like, we just, we didn't do triangle. We didn't even do warrior one. Okay. And, but different classes can take different poses and and pile them onto each other.
3: Um my, I was gonna spin off with Kimberly when she said about holding the poses as long. Please do I find I find as a yoga instructor when I'm teaching to athletes, I don't go in prepared. I can't because every day is a different day. But I do hold the poses with layering. So if I know I'm gonna be doing a triangle pose, I make sure they get that well hold it come back through it and add on a layer to it for another movement to add on to it hold that again so a triangle pose might end up being 15 minutes just to add it on but i don't think people i work with or athletes i work with they're not expecting 27 poses they're expecting to be comfortable and stretch for what their needs are for their day-to-day activities so but when i teach a traditional yoga class um again, I do go in with a mindset of I'm going to teach these five poses or six poses, but how can I intertwine them, layering them in such a way that they don't realize that they're missing something that they did, they were expecting to get. And I have memories who come up to me and go, please don't forget to do that pigeon pose again. I love that pigeon pose. I'm like, Just for that i'm not going to do the pigeon pose now i'm going to do something else (laughs) just for that i'm not going to do that you know but i i think if you set that expectation with your class that they expect something different every time you walk in i don't think you'll get that pushback of they've missed this particular pose or they missed that particular pose i think they're open to whatever you bring to the table anytime you teach that's that's just how i you know and
0: yeah that's interesting um is Siri, Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: So for me, there's an overarching principle in every single class that I teach, regardless of format. And that principle is purpose. I think everything that we teach as instructors should have a purpose, and we should be able to articulate that to our students, right? Why am I picking this particular exercise right now? Why is the next exercise the next exercise? Why did we skip the pigeon pose today? Why did we add the pigeon pose today? And that purpose is going to shift from day to day. It's going to depend on who you have in front of you. You might have to be nimble. I love what Gail said. Sometimes you can't go in without a plan because you just have to respond to what you're getting. Um, I teach a format called uh, cardio yoga, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds. It's a fusion of cardio and yoga. So in that class, you see a lot of traditional yoga poses, you know, the warriors, the trees, all of that. Um, But the biggest aspect of what makes that class yoga is actually the combination of mental and emotional fitness with physical fitness. Like Kimberly mentioned at the very beginning, yoga has eight lens in yogic philosophy, and only one of those asana has anything to do with the physical body. The rest are all about breath and mind and focus and control and uh, self-betterment and so on and so forth. And really, one of the hallmarks of cardio yoga that I love, coming back to this question about sequencing, is that every single exercise in that sequence has a purpose and it has a specific purpose for why it's there. Um, And I'm a master trainer for that format. So I also train new instructors. And that's actually one of the most rewarding things, in my opinion, is to explain and walk through why things happen in a certain sequence, what would change if you took this exercise out? What else might you wanna substitute in? Cause it's kind of like a puzzle, um, but it should, uh, what, whatever format of yoga it is that you're teaching or style of yoga, um, any practice should have a well thought out sequence where each movement and each piece has a specific purpose.
0: Okay, and I'm bringing up the mental aspect, and I love that you brought up the eight arms. Um, Kim, Kimberly, how do we try to emphasize this in our classes? I mean, we're, you know, the first place I ever taught yoga was right was at a lifetime fitness center. And right next door is this huge obnoxious step class. I'm so sorry, that's how long ago it was. I mean, they must have had uh, over 50 people in that class. And I like, I started at about 30 people in my yoga class, you know, they kind of had followed me. And I got this noise going on next to me. How do I pull that mental aspect in? What are your recommendations?
2: So the, the beauty of uh, yoga, if if we're practicing it as it was traditionally meant to be practiced, the whole idea is that you can find peace within without being in a peaceful place. So you, you it, it defines peace as not the absence of chaos and noise, um, but the ability to find a sense of ease even among chaos and noise. So the The common phrase we've said in in our yoga trainings for many, many years is if you're really practicing yoga, you could do it in the middle of New York City and still be able to to find the ease because it comes from inside versus outside. Being able to one of the eight limbs actually is called Pratyahata, and that's the withdrawal of senses. So it's being able to train yourself and it takes time like everything else. You know, the whole concept of mindfulness is being able to turn within and make that connection. Um, so being able to maybe tune out a bit of, of what's happening outside of you to become more of an observer of what's happening within you and then connecting to the breath to stay present with that and such. And the other piece I'd love to just throw in here, you know, cause that, that's the mindfulness piece of being able to stay present and, and, be able to create a sense of ease. And what great training is that, right? I mean, if we can train that in a safe, controlled space on our mat, the ability to find equanimity within ourselves, a sense of ease, even when things are crazy outside of us, what a great thing to take outside of the yoga studio into life because life throws crazy stuff at us all the time. So if we can train ourselves to come back to our breath, turn inward and find a sense of ease, that's just a good skill to hone. Um, but the other piece, bringing in more of the emotional side, Emotional well-being is I've always taught with theming. And in fact, I've taught many instructors how to theme, not just in yoga, but in, in a variety of classes, the ability to come in. With you know, as Siri said, a purpose. So not only a physical purpose, as far as the sequencing of the postures, making sure there's balance, making sure that you've, you're creating this kind of bell curve of experience and intensity, that you're you're not up and down too, too much, you know, all those things that we think of when we're creating the, the physical experience. But what kind of emotional experience can I create with maybe quotes that I share or information, facts, de- details, uh, stories, or the songs that I choose? Um, most most of what I teach and I I have on my Spotify I'll label it it's like yoga, love yourself, yoga, unity, yoga life is good and and being able to bring a theme into the class that you kind of you don't dwell on it the entire hour but you just let it be a touch point so that with that purpose you never know when one little phrase or one little quote you might share might shift an entire person's entire day and it it just changes the experience for the better.
1: It's, Can I pick it's, up on you, that real oh, quick? Because yes, I was, I was so um, inspired what you said, Kimberly, I, I totally agree. I actually, in my cardio yoga classes, like to start with an acclamation in the beginning. That's roughly two minutes. We get into a pose and hold nothing too strenuous. It, it could be literally be a standing uh, posture, uh, two feet on the ground, but I like to write that out and actually record it in advance. So I record it on the voice memo app of my iPhone and sometimes I have music playing in the background and then at the start of my class that's the first song that appears in my playlist so I can hit play I can also listen to my own acclamation, use that two minutes to get in the same zone myself as my students are getting into, and then you know when the music comes on, um, you kind of pick it up from there. And I and I have to admit along the lines of what you said, Kimberly, yoga is the class. My yoga classes are the ones where I spend the most time pre-planning my cues, right? Like, again, writing out specific quotes, specific things that I want to say at specific times. I have to admit, I don't do that for total body conditioning. I don't do that for kickboxing. I do do that for step. But I just think in yoga, we have such a beautiful opportunity to really take our students on a thoughtfully crafted Mental and emotional journey, in addition to the physical journey.
0: And I think part of that is also related to the fact that you have these poses. You know, a triangle is a triangle, warrior two is warrior two, you know, a tree is a tree. So if we can elaborate and find something else that we want to speak about, that makes it, I think, so important and so impactful. And I love the way you guys are talking about intentions. and the ability to tune out. I just spent the last, I don't know, three, four, five days at the IRSA convention. It's the uh, global organization for health club owners, managers, and directors. That great conference. And the keynote was a Navy SEAL who actually killed, um, uh, uh, hello, uh, Al-Qaeda, okay? So talking about, the message that he gave was being ready for things that you absolutely don't expect. Okay. And training yourself to control your emotions, to be in the moment and be calm. And I thought that was fascinating. And I, okay, maybe being a Navy SEAL is a little different than being an, you know, an NFL player, but Gail um, do you you know how do you impress or deal with or apply the yoga poses and the yoga positions that we do to help our athletes deal with the mental stress that they're dealing with um, in as professional athletes or semi pros? You know, it's funny that um,
3: when you're dealing with the athletes, they're so far ahead of us to deal with the mental stress. So if I say okay, guys, I need you guys to take a deep breath. We're going to go in. They're there because they have to shut out the noise mentally. So they've been training for that. So I'm in the middle of a football field with planes flying over and all these different things. So I can get 80 guys to lay on the field in complete silence and just listen to my voice. And they're just tune everything out. They're so much easier to tune out than a regular group exercise class because they are you know group exercise they have their phones shut up the phones because they don't get access to their phones from the time they walk on that until they leave so they want that quiet time and it's amazing especially um, the NHL the ice hockey players they are amazing that noise from the ice constantly to get them in a quiet room it's like shut off it's like a light switch they just they're just gone it's it's almost like walking it's they they explained to me i said how do you guys do that so quickly and they said it's like a void it just shuts off and they just completely just zone in on my voice and they just go it's actually very cool see i'm going to say what you said no put it on my phone there is so much easier to get into that element of mind body quicker than the normal group exercise class it's actually impressive
0: that's fascinating. I would fascinating. have to do that in an airplane when I have a screaming kid behind me. No, you know what's um, funny?
3: I there are times when I'm teaching and I put them in a sabasana for like I was like all right, I got two minutes. I got literally three minutes. I got to get them up. They got to go to practice. I turn around, you hear? They're gone, like totally gone. Like oh my god, I got to wake them up now, <laughs> like because they're totally relaxed and they're in the middle of a football field with the heat or temperatures or whatever it is and they can zone everything out it's very
0: impressive to see how they do that so quickly that's, fa- that's fascinating Kimberly, yeah, how fascinating. I, I love the application to professional athletes and that's fantastic how do we modify and I kind of hate that word but progressions regressions etc how do we adapt our yoga program to our older population just so um, and I know it's, it's a very broad demographic description of, a, and there's a lot of intricate ways to analyze this, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: what are your suggestions?
2: I mean, there's, there's a lot that we can do, not just for our active aging population, but, you know, those who maybe are coming back from injury or, or dealing with, you know, whatever, um, challenges. And there's a lot of things we can do. One, I mean, there are a lot of things they still can do with modifications. And I'm a big believer in in teaching where we create a sacred space for our students, whether it's one-on-one or a group of 50, a sacred space where they get to, to use that time to learn how to listen to their own body. Because people are dealing with all kinds of ailments at all ages. And for them to be able to to not have their, their foot at a particular angle, because that's what it said in some, you know, some instructors um, teacher training that the back foot should be at a 45 degree angle or whatever the case may be. Um, but to be able to still feel like, okay, I'm in warrior two and whatever variation of it fits on their body. I always tell classes like the purpose of yoga So many people hit the mat and they think the purpose of yoga is to fit their body into a shape. That is not the purpose of yoga. The purpose of yoga is to use the shapes as tools to gain better awareness of your own body. And so when you can look at it that way, it's like you own the shapes. They don't own you. Then it makes it easier when you're working with that demographic or any other demographic um, to either slow down work with them to find modifications that feel better in their body. Even if their expression of tree pose looks different than what they saw on the yoga journal cover, that's okay. Like it has to be okay. And we have to create a space where it is okay. And then of course, one of the fastest um, growing types of yoga in the U S is chair yoga. So being able to use props, being able to um, offer the, the sensation and the feeling that not only they're in their poses, when I teach chair yoga, we flow. And so that sensation of kind of that moving meditation, you can create that as well by offering them support if needed. And sometimes it's as simple as having the support of like the chair or whatever uh, tool you're using table, whatever. Um, and sometimes they need it and sometimes they don't, but they have the freedom of knowing that it's there. And uh, it, it makes, it makes this practice so incredibly accessible. Thankfully.
0: And we did get a question that, um, Uh, Eileen asked about what about yoga for those with osteoporosis that's one thing that we want to look at and then somebody asked a question Aaron was talking about um, sciatica is you know I, I personally I always have been taught as well as confirmed by some physicians that increasing flexibility will help with back discomfort so we got osteoporosis we got sciatica. Who wants to go for it? Siri, I see your face. Go.
1: I was going to say, Kimberly, you can go ahead and then I'll, I'll take the next one. Um, I, so um, I, I'm really not an expert on uh, you know, corrective exercise, uh, physical therapy, In fact, that is my number one advice, given the limits of my scope of practice, is if I have someone come into class, a group exercise setting, right, not one-on-one training, who has a very specific issue like sciatica, the first thing I ask is, have you talked to your doctor? Do you see a corrective exercise specialist, a physical therapist, a chiropractor, somebody with that type of expertise who can provide really customized recommendations for your situation on whether there's certain movements that you should be doing or other movements that you should avoid? But aside are, are
0: from you, I got to ask you something. Are you sure you didn't also go to law school? <laughs> I'm sure.
1: <laughs> perfect. Man. But I'm glad that this is a, a lawyer approved answer. Thank you.
0: Um,
1: but uh, as a general guideline, then, you know, for the whole group, what I always tell people, and, and this would certainly apply to issues like sciatica, is I say, remember that you are always in control, both of what you choose to do and what you choose not to do. But like Kimberly was saying, the extent to how you do it, meaning your range of motion. And I think this is actually something that we maybe don't always do enough in yoga. In a lot of other classes like bar, we talk a lot about layering. So we start with a smaller range of motion, a simpler option, and then we show how you can deepen the layer of motion, how uh, a range of motion, how you can make things more complicated. In yoga, we often just show the full expression of the pose first and then start to peel back the layers. They, oh, if you can't quite get there, well, then you can modify in X, Y, Z ways. Um, And so I think that's something to be mindful of is what if we showed a very small range of motion first and then built up the progression, so to speak, for our students. So I remind them of the fact that they're in control of their range of motion. And I I do give the guideline that pain is always a signal to stop in a group exercise class. And so I have people wave and then I um, give them individualized different poses to do if anything is causing pain at all.
0: That's great. Um, We're getting close to time, but I may go over a little bit because it's so fun. Um, Gail, do you have any recommendations about the osteoporosis question, the sciatic question? Um, unfortunately, I don't. Okay, have, uh,
3: Kimberly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have people coming Next. for that. The sciatica part of it, I do on occasion, but I work within their um, in their comfort zone. And if, some, if anything is uncomfortable, I kind of pull back. But again, for sciatica clients, I'm hands on with them. So I can kind of feel how the tissue is feeling to be able to judge and pull back from there. Um, but I've never had a, a participant in class come up to me. So I have sciatica, they usually kind of modify at their best of their ability during the classes because I kind of think they know where their limitations are.
0: Right, you know? right. Uh, Kimberly, what are your thoughts on that?
2: You know, some some great points have been made when you have someone if someone comes up to you in a group class, it's it's definitely a different scenario if you're one on one, because then you can have a deeper conversation with more detail and even have a if, if you're training this person, it would behoove you you have a conversation with their doctor or with their um, physical therapist or whoever they're working with so that you can kind of partner in what it is that you provide when they're with you. Um, but when you're in a group scenario and someone just comes up and says, hey, I've got sciatica or hey, I've got osteoporosis or hey, I've got this, that. You know, the, the rule of thumb is exactly what Siri said, is, is making sure, as you see at the beginning of every workout DVD ever created, to consult your physician before trying this or any other form of exercise, but um, but ensuring that they have been, <laughs> have been given the, the green light to even kind of move into this direction. Um, but then to, to Gail's point, it really is like yoga is is meant to be a safe place on the mat, it's your universe for the hour or however long the class is to do what feels best to you. Now, I've had um, people come to class with osteoporosis that have found relief, especially in the heated spaces, and they, they move maybe more slowly, um, and they, they find different expressions of the pose and maybe um, peel back layers, as Siri so beautifully said. I love that. Um, but to be able to create a safe where they, a space where they feel safe doing that, I think, as teachers is the key is to be able to say, listen to your body, back off. If in a moment it feels okay to challenge yourself, then then challenge yourself a bit. But if in the next moment it feels right to show yourself a bit of compassion, then you should do that and know that that's yoga. That's you honoring yourself. And that's how you're gonna get the most out of this practice. And I always welcome people if they're dealing with any kind of physical ailment because sciatic pain and osteoporosis and a number of other ailments can receive benefit um, and then, of course, just the, the the yogic breathing, the focus, the pratyahara that we talk about can help with managing pain in general. So we have that benefit that we can roll into it and have a conversation with them about. Um, but always giving them the opportunity, should they choose to take it, to also head to an early savasana. Like if, if you feel like you're halfway through and your body's had enough, like you've done enough and and you feel like that's, that's it, you know, you have the option to, to roll up the mat and leave. Or you could lay it out on the mat and still enjoy the space and breathe because there's benefit in just being fully present and breathing as well. So I always offer I, that as an option.
0: I, I also do a workshop on, on um, namaste for a better back. And the reason I've done a lot of research on this is because I've had too many children with the four, you know, having four kids it, and relaxing and the. Uh, Oh my God, with each child, I got bigger and bigger and bigger. It was like, you know, you, you kind of start as, as Iowa and you end up as Montana, you know, with your fourth child. Um, So it really puts a lot of strain on your, on your lumbar uh, throughout your entire back. Unfortunately, what I find with some yoga instructors, it's forward flexion, forward flexion, forward flexion. And I actually, when I have individuals that have discomfort in their spine, I do a little bit more extension. I'm not talking about a backbend. Dear Lord, I'm not talking about a full backbend, but I am talking about a bridge. I'm talking about um, um, just making sure that I might not go all the way to upward dog. I might just keep it a little bit as a cobra. So I will do equal back extension to forward flexion because I find with a lot of yoga instructors, it's like 80% touch your toes, grab your toes, put your palms behind your heels. You've got to be kidding me. Okay. My legs are 3000 feet long. How in the heck am I ever going to reach anything down there? Um, so I keep the perspective if I have somebody who's complaining about lower back discomfort, thinking a little bit more about extension and looking at their lifestyle, are they flexed? Are they sitting at that desk like Siri uh, pointed out um, with those tight hip flexors? Do we need to focus on extensions? Now, real quickly, y'all, what I'm going to do, y'all, where am I from? Okay, (laughs) what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you, we've got a wonderful convention coming up. Uh, We have Florida Mania and California Mania coming up. Florida is in April. California is coming up very soon in March. Love this. And then what I want you guys also to see is we've got certifications matched. You can get certified in a variety of programs. SDW has produced 40. 40 different certifications with individuals with PhDs and master's degrees, and at least 20 years of experience in the industry. Wonderful. So I want to thank you all for joining us for this webinar. Thank you, Sean Carlson, for keeping us in line. I'm so glad you came, Siri, Gail, and Kimberly. Be sure to look for Kimberly. She's teaching her life coaching certification. Don't miss it. All right, everybody. We will see you later. Okay, next Thursday. Take care.
1: Thank you for being here. Have a great night.
0: Everybody.